Welcome to Multifamily AP 360, the show where we discuss 360-degree views on mindset, passive, and active multifamily investment. If you're looking for tips and strategies, or just want to learn from the experiences of others, both good and bad, then listen on. This is Multifamily AP 360 with your host, Ramakrishna Chunchu. Today's our guest is Ray Hyman from Terra Capital. Welcome, Ray. Thanks for having me. Big fan of the show and happy to be a part of it here. Thank you very much, Ray. And a little bit about Ray. Ray is an investor focused on cutting out cutting out the noise around what's hot and honing on to strategies that repeatedly, scalably drive strong risk-adjusted returns. As co-founder of Terra Capital, Ray has helped build an investment engine that turns small, outdated residential real estate assets into scale turnkey portfolios of 100 plus modern Finnish units across the US. So with that, Ray, you want to add anything to your background? Nothing much to add to that. That's what we're focused on. I mentioned before, but I'm a Clevelander, so a Midwesterner at heart, but living in New York and working there now, but excited to talk about multifam, mini multi in the Midwest here. Thank you very much. How did you get into multifamily real estate space, Ray? I grew up with very entrepreneurial parents and one of them owned an architecture and construction firm. So that was actually my first taste in real estate and was my job growing up. But I shipped off to New York. I went to Columbia, which is where I met my business partner, Tom Higgins, who is a developer by trade. And so we started working in our backyard, which was New York City and buying smaller multifamily properties there, which if you're familiar with New York is a lot of the housing stock. And that's what really opened up my eyes to the truly incredible opportunity in mini multi or mini multifamily, kind of that 20 units or less space in multifamily. And I had some pretty serious jobs after school. I worked at JP Morgan. I covered US real estate and REITs there. I worked at Booz & Co. I worked at a private equity fund, Sverica Capital, doing healthcare and real estate. But the whole time just kept buying smaller multifamily properties. It started to snowball. And then eventually we went full-time with Terra. And that's all we do now is focus on aggregating mini multi real estate. Okay, got it. So what is the reason behind choosing mini multifamily? Can you explain the process? For sure. So at the end of the day, Terra is still a value-add multifamily real estate investment fund like many other groups out there, but we're doing it differently in the sense that the assets that we're going after are in that mini multi category, which we define as 20 units or less. So really the smallest apartment buildings out there. The key thing to understand about mini multi and the way that we describe the phenomenon here is that this is the part of the multifamily market that is too big for flippers and too small for developers. So if you think about that for a sec, it's key because it gives us a huge competitive advantage at entry. Everyone that is potentially interested in this asset class, for the most part, are either too small to take down this type of asset scalably more than once or twice a year, they're local mom and pop type groups, or they're larger multifamily funds that need 50, 60, 70 plus units in a single asset in order to hit the green button and buy. And so as a result, 
we're frequently the only or one of the only groups at the table when buying new properties. And it allows us as a result to buy those properties at extremely low prices per unit. So, you know, I'm happy to talk a little bit about how we exit, but we do that as a portfolio. So we're selling 150 plus unit portfolio on the back end. And there we get the highest price per unit when we sell. But at the front end, we get the lowest potential price per unit in multifamily. And it's really the gap between where you can buy and where you can sell once you've securitized or put those properties into a portfolio. That's the real oomph or returns driver there for mini multi. And obviously, there's a ton of value add that we do. We add a tremendous amount of value through renovations and management. But at the end of the day, we hit that 2.3x net return on capital for our investors, which translates into 25% net IRR or so. And so it's a nice little niche in the multifamily space. Got it. Yeah, thank you very much. And so you guys are planning to purchase multiple properties in one market. Uh, share me a little bit more about operations. Point. It's a bit challenging to operate, you know, smaller properties from leasing point of view or, you know, maintenance point of view. Share me a little bit around that. Yeah, it is extremely difficult. In fact, Every part of operating at scale in the mini multi-space is difficult. And sometimes I've described it as brain damage in exchange for returns. But the operations and the management of it is one of the most difficult parts. And there are really three ways that we do that. One is with very strict processes and ratios between the number of units that we have and the number of maintenance staff or management folks that we have locally working on them. Instead of having one manager for the building, we'll have one manager for a region. And instead of having one maintenance person for the this building or that building, it'll be somebody that's on call to handle issues across a 150, 200 unit portfolio in a single market. The second piece of it though, is technology. We are a very tech first business and we employ all of those little plugins for lease ups, management, how to report an issue in your unit, so on and so forth. We even have the move in, move out inspection fully automated through a couple of different softwares that we use. And so technology allows us to operate many different properties as if it was all under a single roof. And then the last thing is our management folks that we hire at the Terra level to help make sure everything is moving in the right direction. And we manage for really every last dollar and every last unit. So that person's role is really an asset manager. They're focused on maximizing cash flow at the property and at the unit level. The third part of it is just hiring really good people for that role. So it's great folks that are in a position to really pay attention to what's going on and identify problems and solve them. And they're incentivized to do that well and drive cash flow. Great stuff. Thank you very much. So you mentioned that you are using technology to automate some parts and you also mentioned some stuff like leasing or, you know, some kind of stuff. Can you give me some examples how exactly you are automating those stuff? Yeah. So if you ask me to rail off the different names of tech that we employ, I won't be able to do it because it's all the homely, move-inly, all those company names I always forget. But the two examples I think are best are one is the lease-up process and the other one is the move-out inspection process that are two parts of the overall real estate management 
world that are very time intensive and difficult. It's one of the reasons why there are commissions associated with doing that well for real estate agents. But we have the lease up process fully automated to the point where there are smart locks on the door of every single unit. The scheduling for when somebody can come and visit after they've found a unit on Zillow or Rent Hopper or any of the other listing apps, a sort of a Calendly type plugin so that they can pick a time to do it. And before they can go, they actually have to submit their ID and everything to get a preliminary background check, which is actually the first step in renting a unit. So it calls some of the less serious people. And so the only time that anybody from our team actually physically spends on that process is the making sure the listing looks good on Zillow or any other platform you've listed. And then the five to 10 minutes where they actually do a 100% virtual Zoom tour with a prospective tenant. And so the tenant gets to go and see, they get to schedule it however they want. For folks that are still COVID conscious or anything like that, it's actually a nice thing for them. They don't actually have to see anybody. And coincidentally, those folks tend to make the best tenants. But that process as a result goes from what was a five hour per unit thing down to really 20 to 30 minutes. And so that consolidating of the process means we don't have to be boots on the ground for that. We can operate across many different properties at scale and it just makes it easier. And then the move in, move out inspection process, we have it automated to very similar process to when you rent a car, you get the car and you take a picture of scratches and all that stuff. And then when you bring the car back, if there's scratches that you hadn't taken a picture of, you have to pay for it. And that's virtually the exact same process that we use for tenant move-ins and move-outs. So it's a tenant performed task that manages itself. And even the security deposit is held with a third party. So we have completely eliminated that part of the hassle from our management process. So almost any part of the real estate management piece that you can imagine, we have some kind of automation or technology in place for. I think those two are pretty good examples of major time savers. Yeah, that's really, really good. Good stuff. Moving in, moving out. So tenant will take care of, you know, a picture. Indeed. Right? So that's really, that's good stuff. Yeah. There's a so, huge opportunity with PropTech in real estate and we're uniquely positioned to take advantage of it, but we're also tech nerds. So we're constantly trying out new stuff and it's fun to see it work well because it makes it a super scalable model. Awesome. So from selecting markets and selecting, you know, sub-market level, can you share me a little bit more about what markets you are focusing on, what sub-markets, and share me a little bit more about demographic stuff, yeah. The main thing here is that we are laser-focused on recession-resistant markets that did well in the 2007-2008 financial crisis and are over-indexed on sticky, really recession-resistant job bases, such as healthcare, education, medium and low-cost location, business services, and tech jobs. And we find that those are the renter bases and economic backbone that make the folks that rent from you sort of the last to be laid off in a recessionary environment. You know, what we always say is we add so much value through renovations and through portfolio arbitrage that we don't want to bet on risky markets. We just want really reliable, strong markets that we can operate in. And we also look for strong affordability metrics. We like to be below that 25% golden line of what your annual rent is versus your annual income. 
And we want solid long-term growth, not just explosive growth in the last few years. So we're looking past the last 15 and then into the next 15. We want that type of market to be mid single digits growth. We don't need 10% plus population growth in order to do what we do well. And what might be the most important thing is low regulatory risk. There are a lot of markets, some of which might surprise you, are a lot closer to things like rent reform and rent control and things that make multifamily real estate a very difficult place to operate. We avoid those markets. We do a lot of research into them before we enter. But ultimately, that is what we're looking for. And we're on a warpath identifying MSAs across the US that fit that bill. The four that we're really focused on right now that are excellent examples of fitting into those parameters are Pittsburgh, PA, and then in Ohio, Columbus, and Cincinnati, which are virtually the same MSA in a lot of ways, 45-minute drive time. And then the last one is Indianapolis. And all of these cities have very similar job bases, very similar population growth, and in the years that we've been operating in them, have very similar performance on rent growth, type of tenant, the average three bed in each of those markets rents for a very similar amount. And so they're almost clone like virtually identical markets that we can run the same model in. They have very similar housing stock and it makes it easy for us to operate. Actually, growing up in Cleveland, I was about two hours drive time from all of these markets. And so I have some familiarity with all of them. And it's surprising how similar those cities feel when you're in them. There's big differences for sure, but culturally they're a lot more similar than let's say coastal or Southern cities. So what's your business plan, exit plan on your deals going forward? So you're planning to hold for a long time or tell me a little more, more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of the pieces that probably differentiates us from other multifamily investors the most, and certainly from other mini multi-players is that there's certainly a version of this model where you buy a eight unit property, renovate it, and then sell it in six months. But instead of doing that, what we do is we aggregate many of these properties into a single portfolio. You can think 150 units plus, but frequently up into the 200 and 250 unit range. And once we finish renovating them, adding value, managing for cash flow, we market as a portfolio instead of individual assets to institutional grade buyers. And you can think family offices, larger real estate, private equity funds, and then truly institutional type buyers like the Blackstones, Blackrocks of the world that are active in the space at the portfolio level. And when we sell in that larger portfolio, it does two things for us. One is it allows us to take advantage of portfolio arbitrage or portfolio premium, where our end buyer is effectively paying us for all of the headache that we had to go through, aggregating in many different one-off transactions with quirky random sellers across different markets and coordinating with contractors and renovating and all that stuff to get it turnkey. So we take advantage of and are compensated for having done all that work on behalf of the end buyer. But the other piece of it is that we get access to that institutional grade buyer that is used to paying a very high price per unit versus other types of multifamily buyers. And so that's how we get the most out of all of the headache and effort that we put into our portfolios is by selling to that buyer that's going to pay the most per unit. And it's a little bit of the old story of buy low, sell high, but 
what we've done is identify a part of the market where we can buy at extremely low prices per unit and sell at extremely high prices per unit. And that spread, that gap between entry and exit price is perhaps somewhat obviously where we generate returns. And we found a good rift there between those two things. But at the end of the day, there's a tremendous amount of demand for portfolios. Institutional grade buyers are starving for large enough assets that they can invest in. And they will still buy for less per unit than they would a large scale development that was completed in the last 10 years. And so it's hugely advantageous for them to enter at the portfolio level, get slightly higher yield, have some of that hedged scattered site risk where they're not all in one single location, but instead are in multiple locations within a market and then across multiple markets in a region. And so it's just turned out to be a nice product on the back end. And is honestly, the vast majority of our inbound is for folks that are interested in buying the portfolio at the end of the day. Awesome. There's a great stuff, great strategy there. So definitely. And what price range you're entering? We always call it 100 to $120 per square foot at entry. By the time we're completely finished with renovations, we tend to be at $150 to $170 per square foot. And that's what gets us to our level of finishes that we're going for. And then when we sell as a portfolio, it's really in that $240 to $270 per square foot range. And we've seen some that are in the high 200s, low 300s, depending on the market and submarket. So there's a pretty big gap between what we can sell per square foot and what we can renovate to per square foot. But we are ultimately producing, and it's one of the reasons why there's so many dollars per square foot in the renovation budget, we're ultimately producing a product that hits that upper end of workforce housing type of renters that has very near luxury finishes. We always say it's sort of like the three, four, five, six unit property that's right down the street from the large scale multifamily development. And the exterior is restored. The individual units have washer dryer in them. They have the white subway tile. They have the hardwood flooring, everything that you would imagine in a large brand new development product, but at a 35% discount in rent. And so that's where we get the strong demand for tenants that we have. And we lease up in, on average, it's about eight days where a property is actually on the market before it's fully signed up. Awesome. Great stuff. So would you share any of our best experience so far? Yeah, I think the best experience so far that we've had is a single event that I can point to where one of our Midwestern markets that we've been operating in for a while, and it's a place where we didn't have a lot of familiarity before we started investing there. And it's very difficult to build a beachhead in a new market with contractors, legal, inspectors, managers, agents, every part of the ecosystem. You have to build your own way into that. And we had a single sort of appreciation event for everybody that was in our local network there. And it was just a somewhat eye-opening moment, but it's kind of a wow. We built this little ecosystem of people piecemeal and found the best folks that are interested in and have are similarly minded to us about mini multi and brought them all together and created something special out of it. And I think 
that was one of the most rewarding experiences that I've had working with Terra and the Terra model, because it was a kind of all in one showing you what the opportunity is if you bring the right people together with the right strategy and in the right place. So that's probably my favorite experience, but every day is a vacation when you're having fun, right? Awesome. Also share me any challenging experience. Yeah. When we first started investing in cities where we weren't physically present, you know, it's sort of the same exact experience is that that is an uphill battle. It is difficult to build out a reputation when you're remote. And so that is something that is always a challenge. Every time we enter a new market, we are getting better and better at that. And one of the ways that we've been able to lessen that hurdle is when we're interested in a market, we will personally buy 10, 15 units in that market, renovate them, get to know lawyers, et cetera, around those deals. So that by the time we bring the fund to bear and we're buying 20 units a month plus in that market, then we already have the reputation. People know that we're deploying there. We know folks and it makes it a lot easier for us. But the first time that we did that, we weren't as systematic about it. And it was tough sledding. We ran into some contractors that weren't great. We ran into some other folks in the ecosystem that weren't being helpful or were slowing us up. And we've turned that bad experience into a set of processes so we can systematically make that beachhead faster. But one thing I will tell you is that there's never a dull moment when you're working on that kind of stuff. And it's a lot more fun to be working in a market where at least there's strong upside and strong potential versus markets where there is a lot of regulatory headwind, like operating in New York, going up against that kind of hurdle is a lot less fun than going up against the hurdle of trying to build out a network and get to know people and find the best people for what you're working on. So for what it's worth, although it was a bad experience, it was certainly fun to do the problem solving and get through it. Thank you. Any personal habits that are helping you to be successful? I think the number one thing for myself and for my team is to have fun as you're working. But the number two thing, which is close, is organization and systems and processes. It is very easy in real estate to think, oh, I've got that signed up. That's fine. That's on auto pay. Oh, here, I've got that relationship. He's going to send me everything that he has. I don't need to worry about that. Or uh, I know that problem is pretty much solved. I don't need to check in on it. But doing things like tracking all of the different components of a property, tracking the different service people that you have in your stable, setting up automatic check-ins and using something like a CRM. We use a customized version of Monday for everything to make sure that you're checking in with all the various touch points and points of contact in the ecosystem. That has allowed us to really have a much louder presence than we would otherwise have and be constantly top of mind with the people in our market, including potential sellers that matter. And so that is the thing I would say is the most important is making processes out of things, automating what you can, and really taking your own intentional time on the things that matter most to the business and not busy work. Awesome. Good stuff. So any books that impacted your life? Yeah, there are a number of them. I'm a big fan of the, this is how you do marketing type book for sure. 
But the place where I think I've actually learned the most is from biographies about world historical individuals. And I think the one that was the most impactful for me is the biography of George Washington. It's Chernow's biography of him. Would highly recommend it. But it's just an amazing story that's a lot more complex than I think people give it credit for. And that only comes out in the biography, not really in the myth. But it's actually a lot more about networking effectively, how you present yourself, how you handle adversity and crisis management, which in many ways is what Washington was doing the whole time that he was president and before that. And so you learn a lot from those people. And the nice thing about world historical individual biographies is that you get a very naked view of the mistakes that they made and their issues and their personal foibles and what to avoid. And so I would highly recommend that. I have taken a lot of personal learnings from that, but there is obviously a long list of biographies out there that are fantastic reads. Awesome. So how can how can listeners can connect with you, Ray? Yeah, there are a few different ways. The number one and easiest is to go to usaterra.com. That is our website. It has a couple of interesting things on there, obviously contact sheet, but also it has some 3D renderings of renovations we've completed. And you can see a little bit more of the type of work we do and what mini multi means and how we operate in that space. Additionally, feel free to email us info at usaterra.com. We're pretty active on LinkedIn and bigger pockets as well. And we like being a part of the conversation in real estate. We find that what we're doing is obviously an excellent program from a capital deployment returns perspective. It is also has a strong mission component, renovating and restoring mini multi, especially across the Midwest. But at the end, there's also a, an educational component to what we're working on, because this is a part of the market that's been overlooked for a long time. And drawing people's attention to it is fun and also very rewarding. So very much so welcome any reach out on those channels. Awesome. Thank you very much, Ray. Really appreciate it. Yes. Thanks again for having me on. This was a great chat. Look forward to staying in touch on it, continuing the conversation. Sure. That's the end of this episode of Multifamily AP360, but we'd love to continue to help you on your journey. Head to ushacapital.com slash podcast to join our email list for more tips and strategies. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. This is Multifamily AP360 with Ramakrishna Chuntu. We'll see you next time.